We'll go ahead and stand and we'll read together. Passage of Scripture. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained... Or am already perfected. But I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal. For the prize. Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. You may be seated. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we're grateful for another opportunity. Another opportunity to open your word. To get your word in us. 
And Lord, we thank you for bringing us together to learn from you. I hope, Lord, and pray that everyone who's gathered here this morning is here to learn from you. So as we have your word open before us, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us, you would give us ears to hear once again what you have to say. And I pray we would take your word and we would be quick to apply it to our living. In the time that we have, Lord, this morning and in this week ahead of us, see that we are pressing on, pressing on toward the goal of your upward call in Christ, pressing on to steward each day for Jesus, pressing on to live in the light of your truth, pressing on to become more like your son. Help us, Lord, not to look back, but to spend our energies looking forward for your sake, for the cause of the gospel. See that we're about one thing with this one life, being conformed into the image of your son, Jesus. And this we pray in your son's name. Amen. Jack Graham in his book, Fit for Life, asks a question. What are the most successful, and I would put as a a supplement to that word successful. We, We all know the Bible's definition of success is a little bit different, right, than the world's definition of success. Productive, useful, faithful, we might insert some of those for success. What are the most successful Christians doing in order to maximize their lives and influence in this world? What are they doing? To maximize their influence in the world around them. He goes on, he says, I've read that successful Olympic athletes, listen to these numbers. Successful Olympic athletes work out an average of four hours per day, 310 days a year, for six years to compete for a gold medal. If those statistics are true, then it begs a question or two for those of us here today pursuing Christ. Are we as diligent in our pursuit of Christ-likeness as these disciplined athletes who are pursuing, need I remind you, a perishable medal? Are we making every effort to strive daily to become more like Christ, knowing that we will attain something that is imperishable? Perhaps personalizing the question this morning is helpful. What are you, friends, what are you doing presently in order to maximize your life and influence in this world? How would you answer that question? Well, that's the big idea for this morning. Pursue one thing. Pursue one thing with this one life. Pursue one thing with this one life. You know, the Winter Olympics are coming this February. And I guarantee you that the men and women who are competing in the downhill slalom ski events have put the time in. Those cross-country skiers have labored many hours 
training themselves for February 2018. Each of these participants has been in pursuit of one thing over the last several years. They're preparing to win. What might happen, church, if God's people trained as diligently as those pursuing the gold medal? What might the church look like if she went about pursuing Christ in the same manner as skier pursued his craft for the Olympic Games? What if with this one life, we pursued the one thing that mattered most? Friends, this is the call of the text before us today. Pursue one thing with this one life. Pursue one thing with your one life. We're going to look at a question that really addresses this pursuit. What does this pursuit look like? And what is the one thing most needed in the one life we get here on earth? What's the one thing that we all most need? You notice here on the board, all of these have to do with the pursuit, this pursuit of one thing. And we all have, uh, to help you maybe remember the text itself, uh, some P's. So they're all going to begin with P. And so the first one here, uh, looking at the first part of verse 12, I believe Paul puts forward some precursors to the pursuit. There's some precursors that he wants the church and us, I believe, by extension to understand some helpful understandings for this pursuit that's going to happen and needs to happen. So here's precursor number one. In fact, I'll just read the first part of that in the text. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. He hasn't gotten to the main clause yet here in this verse 12. There's a couple precursors before he gets to I press on. Precursor number one, not that I've already attained. This word, just for the record, is is found in verse 11 in our English, at least in the New King James. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already attained. And look also at verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained. Those are three words that in our English translation, they come forward as attained. But I'm going to tell you, all three of those words have a little different nuance in the original language. In fact, they're all three, in those three places I just read, all three different Greek words. But they come across to us on the page as the same English word. Okay? Slight nuance, slight difference, but I want to point it out because I think it's helpful and significant. This precursor, number one, to the pursuit. He says, not that I have already attained. Notice that 12, 13, and 14, he's going to be talking about himself still. Remember, he's been talking about his own race. He's been talking last week about what he was willing to set aside, what he was willing not only to set aside as loss, but he, he viewed it as rubbish that he might gain Christ. He's continuing to talk here uh, personally for a moment, but in verse 15, he's going to turn a corner and collectively call the church to join him, okay? 
So for right now, he says, not that I have already attained. The word here, I, haven't al- I, I have not already attained. I've not already received. I've not taken hold of yet this resurrection from the dead. I, I, I've, not, I've not gotten there yet. In fact, he goes on, precursor number two, not that I am already perfected. I, I, haven't, I haven't attained this. I, I'm not already perfected. Or the word here is, uh, has in mind fully finished maturing. Arrived at the end of my maturation process. I've completed maturing. I, I haven't gotten to that point. Some people might say uh, that they've arrived. Paul would say, I've not arrived, spiritually speaking. I think it's important for you to know this church. These are the two precursors here right up front. Paul ends verse 11 with the hope of attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And united with Christ, his union with Christ, having forsaken and set aside all things, and even gone so far as to consider all other things rubbish for the sake of gaining Christ and being found with him, Paul wants the church at Philippi to know with clarity that he has not yet obtained this resurrection from the dead, nor has he already been perfected. Now, there are some who view Paul as this super spiritual person. The guy who has it all together. The one who is willing, above all, to risk it for the sake of Christ. And Paul is going to call the church here in just a moment to this pursuit of Christ-likeness. But right here up front in verse 12, he's making it clear to them that he is no super apostle. He's not arrived. He's not obtained any perfected state in this body. Paul is running... The race of faith, he's looking to Christ, he's running hard after his Lord. He's doing his best to adhere to the truths of Scripture. But by no means has he arrived at what one writer says, a spiritual impasse of (laughs) non-development. He hasn't arrived at a point where he doesn't need to develop anymore. Paul wants to make clear that he has not yet been perfected. The implication is that he still has work to do. He's still developing. He still sees room for growth in the Lord. He's desiring to know the Lord in a greater way as the days go by, even while occupied in prison. And you know, I was drawn, I was thinking about different businesses and companies around us, and and maybe you work for one of these companies. They invest large numbers of dollars in seeing that their people develop and grow, right? Some of the most well-known businesses, some of the businesses that are thriving, do this really well. With technology advancing as it is, companies, I believe, realize their need to develop their people to keep up with what's happening. As a part of the church, I would ask, how many of you see your need for ongoing education? Your need for ongoing growth in God's word? Do you view that for only the pastors and elders? Graham writes in his book, He says, Paul, and I love this, and this is so true about Paul's life. Paul wasn't content to meet the minimum requirements 
to squeeze into a corner of heaven. How often do we try and get by with the minimum standards? What's it take to get to heaven? You ever heard somebody ask that question? I believe these are precursors to the pursuit that Paul's going to be talking about. In addressing these precursors here in verse 12, Paul is humbly submitting his, listen, here's what he's doing. He's submitting his discontentment with things pertaining to the Lord. And you might say, well, I thought we were supposed to be content and not discontent. For the most part, yes, that's true. You see, these precursors help us see what we might call the the drive or the motivation that's to come for Paul's pursuit. As long as he occupied this earthen tent, he saw it as an opportunity to grow and learn from the Lord and bear fruit for the Lord. He had, listen, he had an awareness of his ongoing need to be developed by the Lord. Graham goes on and writes, he says, some Christians don't have time for spiritual development because they're too busy doing other things or are undisciplined in their habits and spend too much time just hanging out. What kind of habits do we have as it pertains to things of the Lord? Here's the bottom line. Pursuing Christ's likeness is full-time work. It goes to work with you. It comes home with you. It's part of who you are. Hard to pursue Christ's likeness when you are sidetracked with other things. Difficult to keep going in your pursuit of Christ's likeness when you feel like you've already arrived spiritually. Paul makes it very clear up front and, and we should make this clear in our own lives as well. Ongoing spiritual development is needed to enhance our pursuit of Christ's likeness. A humble awareness and recognition that we don't have it all together. And on the other side of that, a declaration that we're not content. Here's what we're not content with. We're not content remaining a spiritual infant any longer. So, precursors to the pursuit. That's the first part of verse 12. Here's the second one. There's a purpose for the pursuit. This is so important for us to get. There's actually a purpose for this pursuit that he's talking about. It's the second part of verse 12. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of. Of me. The idea of pressing on is to pursue. That's where we get this pursuing one thing. The pursuit. The verb form pursue. To go after. To chase after something. To follow after. With all of your energies. Paul says I'm not sitting by passively killing time. But I'm in pursuit. I'm going somewhere I'm moving closer towards something. I'm intentional about where my life is heading. There's a purpose behind what I'm doing. 
He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. The text begs a question. Why did Christ lay hold of Paul? Why does the Lord lay hold of you and me in Christ? A familiar verse I'll share with you. It it got opened up to a greater degree as I was thinking about the question, why Christ laid hold of Paul and why he might also lay hold of you and me being in Christ. The familiar passage in Romans chapter 8, I just read verse 29. It says that for those God foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined for what? Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God has a purpose for those he calls unto himself. And that purpose is conformity to his son. In fact, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1. Love these verses. He says, but when it pleased God, he's given a little personal testimony of his life. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. When it pleased God to reveal his son in me. That I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see, knowing God has a purpose for us and knowing that his purpose is to make us more like his son, Paul says, I press on to seize. That's the idea behind take hold, to seize, to seize. You think about seizing something, it's going after it. I press on to seize the very thing for which Christ seized me. Do you recall, friends, how the Lord seized Paul's attention on the road to Damascus? He got his attention, didn't he? He seized him. Knocked him down. Opened his eyes. After first blinding them for a time. I would ask you this morning, are you pressing on in your Christian journey with any urgency? With any fervency? Any zeal for the things of the Lord? Is there embedded in you this purpose for your pursuit of Christ's likeness? The danger here is one the Hebrew writer speaks well of in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. There's great purpose behind the ongoing pursuit. So we have precursors to the pursuit. The remainder of verse 12, there's a purpose for the pursuit. But there's also to be progression in the pursuit. Progression. Verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or taken hold of But one thing I do, one thing, one thing, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Notice once again here at the beginning of verse 13, Paul reiterates that he has not fully apprehended. He's not fully taken hold of that for which Christ took hold of him. There's still work to do in being conformed into the image of God's Son. As long as there's this earthen tent, Paul saw this as his opportunity to draw near to the Lord, to grow in godliness. And so while he has not yet apprehended... He establishes something that I believe is mission critical to the pursuit at hand. But one thing. I do is actually not in the original language. It's, you'll see it in your Bible. It's probably in italics. Which means it's there just to supply um, a better understanding and handle of the verse. But one thing. One thing. Here's what he does. He's not yet apprehended, but one thing. I want you to notice how Paul goes about describing this one thing. He does it from a negative sense and says, essentially, don't do this. And a positive side, see that you do this. What are they not to do? What are we not to do? Forgetting those things which are behind. This speaks to those things that are in the past... Those things back here. And for Paul, this might include his life prior to knowing Jesus as his Savior. Remember that Paul was the ringleader for persecuting Christians back in the day. And the book of Acts tells us that he zealously pursued the, this sect called the Way. Remember that? He arrested some of these church folks, casting his vote even... To have some of these Christ followers killed. Remember that Paul was also the young man standing by as Stephen was stoned. Paul had quite the past. And I'm sure now as even as he's writing to the church at Philippi. He would deem it quite a painful past. On the other side of his conversion. Now that he's able to see some things more clearly. Maybe that's where you're at here this morning. You think about your past and you think about some things in your past that are quite painful. Difficult. Hard. And maybe you're asking the question, how do I forget these things? How am I supposed to forget that? We saw last week... The long list of things that Paul once boasted in. Verses 4 through 6 of chapter 3. But for the sake of Christ, he laid these things down. He set them aside. He forgot them to the point of viewing them as rubbish. Remember? He places these things literally on the trash heap. Worthless compared to gaining Christ and knowing him. And so before sharing this one thing, he first points to the past and he says he's completely forgetting this stuff. Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting the things which are behind may be a hard thing for some of you this morning. 
Others, perhaps, are too quick to forget the things in their past. The things which are behind may bring to your attention some specific sin, some specific sins, plural, that need to be dealt with. You've tried to forget it, but the Spirit of God, and maybe you don't necessarily see it as the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God oftentimes keeps pressing His finger upon sin in our lives. Remember, church, this is one of His roles in our life. He convicts us of sin. He does the same with the world, those in the world. He convicts them of sin. Hoping that you and me, hoping that we'll come to repentance. Desiring we come to repentance. Desiring that we come to see our sin in the same light that God sees our sin. That's the idea of confessing, to say the same thing as God. Pertaining to our sin. Remember that Paul is describing the one thing he does. And in getting to that point, in verse 14, he's going to get to it. But in getting to that point, forgetting the things which are behind, those things in the past, this is a necessary component to the pursuit of Christ's likeness. Runge in his book, he says, living in the past can be a huge roadblock to moving forward. It's true. How many live on their past achievements? You know any folks who live on their past achievements? Where all, they, they, all they do is live in those good old days. They don't hardly ever live in the present. They live on what they accomplished 20, 30 years ago. MacArthur said the clearest vision belongs to those who forget the past. As we think about this pursuit, as we think about this one thing. And you know, I was thinking about a couple of biblical examples, just thinking about forgetting the things that are behind. I was drawn to Genesis 17, and I was reminded of that time in Lot's life. Remember that? The angel of the Lord comes down and says, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Nor stay anywhere, anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. A few verses later, the text tells us that Lot's wife, what'd she do? You remember? She looked behind. And she turned into a what? She became a pillar of salt. Luke's gospel in chapter 9 is another verse that, that was looking at as well. In chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus himself says, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. One thing. Pursuit of one thing. Forgetting the past. The text goes on and says, here's what we are to do. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Not only is there a past to forget, but there's a future to reach forward to. 
to reach forward here in the text has in mind to strain or stretch a muscle to its limit. It, it, it pictures the runner straining every muscle to reach the finish line. You've seen it, haven't you? The, the, the runner just stretching out here. He's, uh, he's all straight. You see the, the veins, everything popped out on his neck, and he's, he's just all out. If all we do is look behind us, we'll have a difficult time ever going forward. Think about it, going back to the analogy of running the race. How many times have you seen a runner running a race and they lose the race because they're turning around looking and seeing who's coming? They're wasting precious energy when they look around to see who's coming. To make progression in the pursuit of Christ's likeness, we must be reaching forward to the things ahead. Remembering our purpose to be conformed into the image of God's Son. This should, listen, this should help us as we apply this one thing mentality. A daily reminder of God's purpose for us will see that our energies are spent reaching forward, making progress in the faith, growing in the Lord. So there's a past to forget, a future to reach forward to, but the one thing now Paul zooms in on in verse 14. He says, I press toward, or I bear down in pursuit of. I press toward the goal. I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call. How many of you know this, that when you make one thing your pursuit in life, you can make a whole lot of progress in it? When you make one thing, when you, when you are about one thing, you can actually make some really good progress in that one thing. When you spend your time and energies in one thing, you start to get pretty good at it. You think about the concert pianist. Hours. They're spending on the piano learning this piece. The violinist, I heard someone not long ago playing a piece. It was fantastic. But I'm fairly certain it was so fantastic that she had to spend hours and hours and hours rehearsing, exercising that piece to make it what it was. Listen, if playing a violin or playing the piano or running a race putting a ball in a basket, if those things are so worthy of people's time and attention, why can't and why don't we as Christ followers pursue one thing in our lives for the glory of the Lord? This is not to say that we can't play a piano, we can't, pl- we can't play a violin, or we can't play any kind of sport As unto the Lord. We can do those things as unto the Lord. I'm talking about the way in which they go about it. That way they go about it. That pursuit of that craft. I'm convinced that the pursuit those others have toward their craft far surpasses our pursuit that many of us have in the church of Jesus Christ today. 
This is a high calling, an upward call. A pretty significant call. On the other end of that, when you make one thing a priority and a highlight, you can make progress. When you're not spiritually fit, when, when this is not the one thing that you're pursuing in life, progress might seem very hard to come by. You might feel stagnant in your walk with Jesus Christ. Paul made it a point in his life to make progress in his faith, and he made every effort to see that others were progressing in their faith as well. How do I know that? The Bible tells me so. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says, Him, Christ, we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. Why? For what goal? What purpose? That we may present every man perfect, mature in Jesus Christ. That we might help others make progress in the faith. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 14. I won't take time to read all of it. But there he's talking about how God gave some to be apostles and teachers and, and this and that. To equip the body for works of service. To the end that we might grow to become a perfect man. There's that word perfect again. A mature man. No longer tossed to and fro. No longer like a child blown by the wind, by every deceit and trickery. We come to a full knowledge and stature of who Jesus Christ is. Or Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. Christ, Paul was... Paul was about seeing Christ formed in, in these other folks. He was about seeing them make progress in the faith. MacArthur says that the prize, the prize from the text, verse 14, the prize was what motivated Paul to run, to win. The prize. Corinthians chapter 9 helps us here again Athletic imagery, running imagery that Paul submits here in Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Reaching forward, striving, straining, pressing on. Go after it. Forget those things which are behind. Reach forward to the things ahead. Press on in the present toward the goal that you might receive the prize of the upward call. Heaven is both the source of the call and the object of the call. The directive is to press toward the goal in the present. Forgetting, talk about the past, reaching forward, future. In the present, we press on. I would ask here at this part of the passage, are you making progress in your pursuit of Christ? And just so as you don't fool yourself, it might be good to ask your spouse. Might be good to ask your children. Children, might be good to ask your siblings. 
Might be good to ask your parents. Questions all around, I think, would be helpful. Are we making progress? Is there any evidence of progress being made in your faith? In this pursuit? And if not, why? Let's deal with it. So we have precursors to the pursuit, purpose for the pursuit, progression in the pursuit. These last few are going to zip by. A pattern here, a pattern fit for the pursuit. Look at the first part of verse 15. Therefore, let us, there's that call here, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. The idea here is to continually think like this. He says, have this mind. Continually think like this, to think this way. Now, the question hopefully comes, what way? Somni, I think, in his, his book gives us a, a helpful understanding and answering this. He, he says that the context of this passage suggests that it is the manner of life that's already been outlined in the preceding verses. Well, what kind of manner of life has he been talking about? This one thing way of life. Think in a one thing kind of way. Pursue Christ's likeness with all of your might. Keep that the main thing. He says here in verse 15, let us as many as are mature. Now, Paul has already told the church back in verse 12, he's not already perfected. It's the same word, teleos, perfected. It's the same word as we see here in 15, mature. They come from the same original words. And Paul himself notices in verse 15, notice he includes himself in the as many as are mature. Let us, he uses the first person plural. But verse 12, the word there has in mind this idea of being fully mature, arriving at the end of maturity. The idea here in verse 15, the word is being used of those who are spiritually mature in Christ. One who's made some progress in the journey with Christ. One who's gained wisdom and understanding of how to walk with Christ. They haven't fully arrived, but they are mature along the journey of faith. Paul instructs the church toward a pattern of thinking. Now, he'll have a lot more to say about this as we get into chapter 4. He's going to actually call them to think about certain things, isn't he? But for now, he says there's a pattern fit for this pursuit of Christ's likeness. Think this way. Have this mind. Continually think this way. That's the pattern. And the pattern is fit perfectly for those pursuing this one thing. Well, he goes on and keeps going in verse verse 15, the last part. Here's the next P. Power. Power that fuels the pursuit. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now, the clause here, which begins with if, right? It's a fulfilled condition. What's that mean? Well, it could be better rendered this way. And if, 
as is the case, in anything you think otherwise. In other words, there were some to whom Paul is writing. Some people thought otherwise in regards to certain things. He says, it's true that some were thinking otherwise. And he says, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Listen, God reveals himself to us in salvation. It's his salvation from beginning to end, amen? It's his. But he also reveals the right way to go in the interim. I love this. When we are thinking otherwise, God will reveal things to us to set us on his path. The word, in fact, is profitable. And I appreciated this passage. I think Jacob touched on it earlier this morning. This is so important. The word is profitable, not only for rebuke and not only for doctrine, but it's also profitable for correction. Correction. Now, there's not a whole lot of us here that like to be corrected. How many of you, raise your hand, like to be corrected? Anybody like to be corrected? There aren't very many. That's not something we typically get fired up about. Correct me, please. Correct me. God's word does that, though. And praise God, his word doesn't just rebuke us. Doesn't just say, you did it wrong. But follows that up by saying, let me show you the right path. He lovingly reveals the right path that we need to walk in. Here's the bottom line at the end of 15. God is the one who provides the power that fuels the pursuit. You might be even now thinking otherwise. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe right now there are some things you are thinking otherwise about. I want you to know something this morning, that God the Holy Spirit excels at teaching. He excels at illuminating, at guiding, at helping. All of these things are descriptors of the Holy Spirit. Hughes writes in his books, he said, he said Paul trusted the Spirit of God to bring his people to the knowledge of the truth. Even God will reveal these things to you. God, through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, provides the fuel for the pursuit. He opens our eyes to see. He opens our ears to hear. He transforms our hearts. He also specializes, listen, in renewing our minds to correct our faulty way of thinking that it might align with His. His power renews the mind through His Word by means of his promised Holy Spirit. Keep in mind, this power we're talking about that fuels our pursuit, this power is not only necessary to correct us and move us toward a right way of thinking about a certain thing, but this power is essential to the entire pursuit. Colossians 1.29, just after giving testimony of of how Paul goes about doing his work. In verse 29 of Colossians 1, he says, To this end I labor, striving, striving, agonizing 
according to his working, which works in me mightily. Is he not talking about the power of the Holy Spirit fueling him to do the work God's called him to do? Friends, that's exactly what God the Holy Spirit does in your life and in mine as well. He wants to serve and will serve as the power to fuel your pursuit toward Christ's likeness. Are you trusting God to reveal his truth in you? Do you recognize your need for his power in you? Or are you okay with your own power? Is your own power and strength sufficient? If you, if you live that way consistently long enough, you come to understand that uh, that's, that's not going to be good enough, especially for this pursuit we're talking about here. We can't pursue one thing, this Christ-likeness, in our own strength and power. In fact, he'll say here in the next chapter that he can only do all things through, not himself, through Christ, through Christ who strengthens or fuels him. Have you connected your pursuit of Christ-likeness with a shortage of power, perhaps, on your end? The Holy Spirit, listen, is always redirecting toward the things of Christ. It's his power, as the hymn writer said, his power that can make you what you ought to be. Well, there's one more verse, one more P on the board here. Let's call this one partnership. Partnership in the pursuit. This is where he ends, verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same. And I'm going to stop right there. Let's walk by the same. The reason I want to stop right there is because I believe the best manuscripts here for verse 16, they don't include the word rule. Uh, they don't even include the rest of the, the verse in verse 16. You probably have a little footnote there in 16 that tells you something to that end. The word walk here, let us walk. Stoicheo, it's a, it's a word that actually means to, to conform one's behavior to a norm, a normal pattern. To, to conform your behavior to a norm. This was a word that was commonly used of going in military formation. When you think about soldiers walking in military formation, they are, church, help me here, they are walking together in step. They don't just go whenever they want to go. They don't go just if they feel like it. No. You walk together. You go together. That's the idea of the word when it says let us walk. It's the same word that we see in Galatians 5.25. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us, that's plural. Let us, the church, let us walk in the Spirit. This is something that we do together. It's not an option. The walking that's called for is a walking together, a walking in partnership. And here in Philippians, as Paul has been channeling the discussion toward this one thing, in verse 15, he points out that some are thinking otherwise on certain things. Here in 16, he's calling attention to progress that's already been made. 
He says, however far along the path we've come together, let's walk in that way. To, to continue, if we will, the, the race analogy. He's calling the church to keep going in the direction that they're heading. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane and keep on pursuing Christ-likeness together as one body. That's what he's calling to. Ferguson writes here, he says, they, the church may not have arrived yet at a perfect understanding of the gospel or perfect knowledge of Christ. But that is no excuse for failing to live consistently, and I would add, in partnership with the wonderful knowledge that they do already have. We already have some things we know. He says, walk in what you know. Go in the way that you know. Don't don't go backwards, but do it together. There ought to be a partnership here. Precursors to the pursuit, purpose for the pursuit, progression in the pursuit. There's a pattern that's fit for this pursuit, and there's definitely a power that fuels the pursuit, and the pursuit is something that we're to partner together in and do together. Hughes writes, spiritually mature people run the race rather than imagine that it is over. They run the race rather than imagine that it's over. I close with an excerpt from Kent Hughes. And he's speaking here of Eric Liddell. Many of you remember, heard of Eric Liddell. He was involved in the 1924 Paris Olympics. Set a world record in the 400. Got a bronze medal in the 200. Runner he was, but that was only one manifestation of his devotion to Christ. In 1925... The Olympics were in 24, in 1925. Having completed his degree in science at Edinburgh and a degree in divinity, he set sail as a missionary to China with the China Inland Mission. In 1932, during his first furlough, he married Florence McKenzie. In 1941, facing the growing threat of Japanese occupation. 1941, World War II, right? Context. He sent his wife and three daughters to Canada to stay with her family while he stayed on to serve among the poor. Liddell suffered many hardships, but kept on running hard after Christ. And then in 1943, he was interned in the Wahasan internment camp, prison camp, where he again cheerfully served those around him. In 1945, at the age of 43, Eric Liddell died of a brain tumor that may have been caused by his malnourishment and overwork. Liddell's grave was marked by a simple wooden cross with his name written in boot polish. He's interred in the Mausoleum of Martyrs in China. Hughes says, I don't know what the inscription says on his tomb. But if I were to imagine one, it would be this. He died running. Here was a man whose life was given to one thing. 
Herein is the charge, I believe, of the text this morning. Be a man of one thing. Be a woman of one thing. Be that man or woman who presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Will you be that man? Will you be that woman who dies running that race for Christ? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this body will be a body that presses on regardless of what the cost may be, strains forward to the things that are ahead. Help us, Lord, to understand that we don't have it all together all the time. We haven't arrived. Oh, but Lord, we don't stop there. We, we press on in this body, in this earth intent. We press on that we may lay hold of the very thing for which Christ Jesus lay hold of us. And he laid hold of us that he might conform us and shape us and mold us into the image of his son, Jesus. So, Father, I pray that we would be about this one pursuit in our life. We would be forgetting the things that are behind, reaching forward, straining forward to those things which are ahead, pressing toward the goal, bearing down upon this goal to win the prize. May we be motivated to run the race here, Lord, to win the prize that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. He's our prize. He's our treasure. And I pray, Father, that we would have this one thing mentality and that, Lord, where we think otherwise on certain issues in this life, that we would understand that it's your power that fuels the pursuit that we're in. And, Lord, I pray that we would walk and live and keep in step with one another to the degree that we've already attained certain knowledge and understanding. Lord, that we would stay in our lane, so to speak, keep pressing forward, keep going on and trust that you will reveal even more to us in these days ahead as we partner together, as we walk together, as we're reminded of your good word in this pursuit. Lord, teach us what it is to be a man and a woman who pursue one thing in this life for your honor and your glory. I pray in Christ's name, amen.